Hello and welcome to the Learning Mindset Podcast, where we discuss ideas in learning and teaching and ways that we can improve our ability to learn for ourselves and ways that we can improve our teaching practice. In this episode, my name is Frank. Um, welcome to the podcast. We're, we're a new podcast. This is the second real episode of the podcast. So hopefully the, some of you are discovering it for the first time or if you're, if you're coming back, welcome back. So in this particular episode of the podcast, I want to talk about a topic that I think is going to see more attention in the next little while. It's already started to get a lot of attention amongst uh, what I would call learning hackers, people that are trying to find new methodologies and ways to improve their learning. But I think we're going to see a little bit more formal application of these skill sets, and that is the concept of mindfulness, the idea of being able to develop skill sets for self, uh, self-awareness, self if you would, or self-efficacy around uh, mental health. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. There's some interesting uh, things that have happened. And this began in, in my own journey as a way of sort of balancing out a couple of things that I saw happening in my teaching. One of the things that I was noticing, and this is, goes back quite a few years now, is that a lot of people were finding that if they just studied within a specific domain of knowledge, that they didn't have enough dimension to really thrive or to have the ability to successfully connect their life experience with the domain of knowledge that they had. Now, specifically, this was really mostly around the idea of, you know, technical and professional skills. I generally teach technical skills. I teach data, I teach network, I teach infrastructure. But there's a huge demand amongst the learners, amongst the teachers, amongst the potential employers, society in large, that having just one single domain of knowledge, such as good technical competency, wasn't sufficient. We also needed to develop professional competencies in order to augment or in order to really use our technical efficiency or technical skill sets more efficiently. And sometimes the term soft skills would come out. I don't really like that term. I prefer the term professional skills, but by way of example. So what we would have is we would have somebody who, let's say, was very good with computer networks but without the ability to communicate with others and develop teamwork skills, that skill kind of languished. It wasn't something that they were able to utilize. People wouldn't work with them. It was a big problem. And so I know from a technical school standpoint, we received a lot of pressure uh, from both the employers that were potentially hiring our graduates to the learners themselves, to the staff and faculty that recognized this, to integrate more professional skills into our technical programs. And then shortly thereafter, and something that I see really heavily being done today is the other direction. So what's happening is we're talking about creating digital transformations where we're saying, okay, here's an industry, let's say a human resources, and that industry is typically very professional. We have people that are involved in the industry that have professional skills, communication skills, teamwork skills maybe the ability to do budgets, so financially financially technical, but they might not have some of the other technical skills that they need in order to fully participate and take advantage of some of the technical or digital transformation that's occurring in those industries, let alone lead it or, or somehow uh, you know participate more fully. So we saw this intersection. We see this intersection between the technical skills 
and the professional skills. And whether it's going professional and getting more technical skills, or whether it's technical people getting more professional skills, we wanted to develop some more holistic, intersectional type of learning between those two silos of skill sets. And I'm, and when we talk about technical, there are dozens, hundreds of skills. When we talk about professional skills, there are dozens or hundreds of skills. But the idea is that there are some foundational skills that we want to have for anybody who's learning. Uh, another near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure I'll do some episodes on this, is critical thinking skills. But this particular episode, I want to talk about a third silo, a third element that I think is of equal importance to technical and professional skills. And those are the skills around personal growth and self-awareness. And it's very interesting to see some of the developments in this particular area because we're, we're seeing a younger group of people and, and older people as well, but definitely in newer generations that are placing a greater importance on their lifestyle, their emotional well-being, and their mental health. They're looking at ways to improve those as well as their technical and their professional skills. And the question is, are these things that are done outside of work and then brought into the workplace, or are these things that we now need to start training in our school system? Are these going to become part of our curriculum where you will take courses in computer science and you'll take courses in presentation and teamwork skills, and you'll take a course in mindfulness? And I wrote, a, I wrote a quick blog article on this for my, my blog, franksclass.ca, where I talked about digital transformation and the self-development component of that. And in that particular blog post, I was referencing quite a bit a book that I read, which I thought was quite good. It was uh, by um, uh, uh, Richard Florida, and it was called The Rise of the Creative Class. And in that book, as I was reading it, it really sparked a lot of ideas that as a society, if we want to develop environments where this creative class can thrive, we need to make sure that, of course, we have all of the technical components that are there for that creative class to utilize. We also need to make sure that we have the cultural aspects that that creative class is seeking. So I'm not going to summarize the book, but suffice to say that I, it sparked a lot of ideas and that led to the, you know, the blog post that I created where I talked a little bit about that. And what I was really talking about was the idea that by intersecting technical, professional and personal growth, we are in a position where I think we can actually achieve digital or societal transformations where we're actually developing, you know, fully formed individuals that can enter the world and feel comfortable in that world. And as the world becomes more complex and fast-paced and challenging, I think I think it kind of is our responsibility as as instructors and faculty and universities and even informal training that occurs. Anything we do, I think the respect for the individual is something that is very important. I think I think we have to build respect for the individual into everything we're doing. And when it comes to different practices for individuals to understand themselves better, I think the techniques around mindfulness and meditation and that self-awareness component are absolutely essential to that journey. Now, in my own sort of learning, I decided, well, how am I going to approach this? It's, you know, I, I will be blunt. I, I've never really thought of myself as somebody who would go and meditate or do yoga or some of these activities, or at least I never really perceived myself as that person. 
But then I was reading a lot of articles, the science behind it, how these different techniques had actual, proven, measurable, and scientifically correlated benefits. And the, the research is out there. You know, meditation, whether you call it meditation or a practice of mindfulness at the very least, the ability to think and relax and breathe are all very important components of learning, of being able to do anything in your life. So I remember many years ago, we had this thing that was introduced to our faculty association where we did something called Brain Gym. And the idea was by improving your brain by, through these exercises that would help you become a more effective teacher and learner. Um, and, and that was a great tool that we could use many, many years ago. And I think I've mentioned this several times in different social media posts. I read a book which was called <coughs> Would the Buddha Wear, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Would the Buddha Wear a Walkman? Now, that book was more focused on how technology could be used for self-awareness. So that book had a lot of things like, uh, you know, techniques of, you know, auditory uh, stimulation, things like light stimulation, things like, uh, you know, different types of physical ways to, to use technology to sort of elicit that personal growth. But going right back to the basics, a program of mindfulness, relaxation, just uh, sitting quietly, breathing, learning techniques of breathing has been proven to be very effective. Now, for myself, I've decided I've, I'm using two different mechanisms to do this. One thing that I'm using is because I'm not an expert on this. So, you know, the teacher becomes a student. I need to go and learn this myself. So I actually ended up working with uh, Mind Valley, which is a uh, online service. So I was going through a lot of their material and I'm able to go through and learn different techniques around mindfulness. I'm finding that quite helpful. And uh, and I should oh, just, you know, red flag here. I do have an affiliate link for Mind Valley, but beyond that, I was doing this myself in order to learn mindfulness techniques. And then I also have an Oculus 2, an Oculus Quest 2 virtual reality goggle set. And just recently, I've downloaded a very interesting application there called Trip. And that particular one also teaches you focus techniques, calmness techniques, which I find very useful because there are some visual cues which resonate with myself as a learner, and I'm able to then use that in order to learn these techniques. Now, besides talking about myself and my journey on that, the question is how can we incorporate those into the learning process for students? How can we bring that into something like a college campus or high school or even in the, you know, the, the younger grades, the K to eight grades? How do we bring in techniques around relaxation and mindfulness? And at first you might be like, well, you know, that's something you learn at home. But we're finding that, you know, that's something you learn at home is not being learned at home. So we don't really have a, a, a way to, you know, even financial skill sets. We've taught, you know, people long lament that we need to teach people concepts around budgeting and life management. Well, one aspect of life management is managing your mental health, your calmness, things like anxiety. Now, it just so happens that I was going through some papers the other day and uh, July 29th of this year, so as of, you know, two days ago, as of this podcast first being published, there was an article uh, that was published, it was by uh, it's the University of Liverpool here, and um, Joanne Deborah Worsley, Andy Pennington, and uh, Rhiannon uh, 
Corcoran, hopefully I'm pronouncing the names correctly, published an article, a research article, uh, Supporting Mental Health and Well-Being of University and College Students, a Systematic Review of Review-Level Evidence of Interventions. And this is a fascinating article. I read the abstract and continued on to read the article. And the article just has many aspects to it. But one of the takeaways that I took from the article was that there was a proven effectiveness of meditate, of I wouldn't say meditate, mindfulness. There's a proven practice of mindfulness demonstrating a positive effect on the mental health and well being of university students. And so all of a sudden, it not only becomes a way to improve our learning and a way to improve our ability to reach, achieve outcomes of our learning activities, but it also becomes a way to reduce mental challenges that we have, different types of you know, stresses that university students might have that we can begin to alleviate by teaching the practice of mindfulness. And I think that's a very important thing to do. And so I'm very interested to see how to incorporate this into my own classes. It's a bit of a challenge. You know, if I'm brought in as a trainer to train somebody on how to build a network, how do I incorporate mindfulness into the building of a network? You know, there's going to be, I suspect there's going to be a pushback, especially from heavily technical people. If I say, okay, for the first five minutes, we're going to sit back and we're going to, you know, meditate and do some breathing exercises before we embark on building a network. I don't know how well that would fly. So the question is, do we do we build it into an organizational level or do we just make it something as a resource kit? This brings me back to something that I like to do when I have a cohort of students where I sort of set them up for success by spending a few days at the beginning of the semester resourcing them on the different things that they can use to be successful in learning. And if you listen to the previous podcast episode, the only one at this point. This is, you know, episode number three and number one was just an introduction. So episode number two, I talked a little bit about this, but the concept of learning how to learn. And I think in today's world, learning how to learn increasingly means learning how to balance technical, professional, and personal growth skills. And that we as instructors, as, as you know, institutions, as trainers, anybody who's in the learning or the teaching profession, we need to find ways to incorporate that into our teaching. And certainly as individuals, we need to find ways to incorporate that into our own learning. So I would suggest for anybody that's listening, if you are interested in the effects of mindfulness, I will on the podcast website. If you go to my website, learningmindset.ca, I'll post a link to the article on the uh, the supporting of mental health and well-being in university and college students. It is a very useful read. I'll also post uh, some other links on different tools and techniques. If you have the virtual reality Oculus 2 Oculus Quest 2 goggles, I highly recommend the Trip program. It's a great, it's not very pricey, but it is a very useful tool for guided mindfulness. And if you take a look at Mind Valley, they have well, they have a whole bunch of different type of personal growth programs there. I'm actually sort of enamored with them. I think they're they're actually quite good. So so I utilize those a lot. And then there are of course many different resources that might be available within your community as well. So mindfulness is definitely captured the the zeitgeist people are definitely talking about mindfulness as being a practice that can help them in their personal lives but more to the point it can all at the point of this podcast it can also help them in their learning journeys and as teachers I, I believe it can help us in teaching more effectively 
by helping our students discover the ability to have self-discovery. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to see some of my YouTube videos, check out my channel, Learning and Technology with Frank on YouTube, or check out my blog posts at www.franksclass.ca.